This podcast is powered by you. To find out more, visit DiscussingTrek.com slash support. Welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek Discovery podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS series Star Trek Discovery. Hi, I'm Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkie, the Who story himself, Cal Jones. Cal, how you doing, dude? I'm good. I'm glad to be back and recording again, and also can't wait to talk about the next generation. So, yeah, excited. Have you been seeing other properties or movies that may have uh, tickled your fancy lately oh maybe just maybe a movie of wartime proportions the infinity war so yeah avengers we both went and saw that so cool movie and we also reviewed it on discussing comics so shameless plug there but yeah, really enjoyed that. And I think you did too. That's universally said, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you are into any of the Marvel MCU uh, movies, this is definitely a must-see. So guys, go check that out. And also check out our review over at DiscussingComics.com. So yep, anything, else, cool anything else you want to talk about, man, before we uh, move along? Uh, just really quick, I will say that this weekend, you, I, and along with Lee Shackelford, our co-host from Discussing Who, will be in Atlanta for Wholanta 2018. And you're on a panel, Lee is on a panel, and then we are all three on a panel on Sunday. So really, really, really excited about that. Yeah, so if you're around uh, the Atlanta area and attending uh, Hulanta, I will be on a panel Friday at, I think, 11. It's pretty freaking late, but I will be on a Black Mirror panel. panel. And, you know, as much as I've sang Black Mirror's praises, uh, it should be a lot of fun to dive in with some more uh, hardcore Black Mirror people. So, yeah, that should be fun. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing you on a panel because I've never seen you on a panel that I've not been, been on. So that's kind of a new treat for me and also seeing Lee on a panel. So that's going to be cool. Yeah, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So, guys, what we do here on this podcast is review each episode of Star Trek Discovery in somewhat excessive detail, in addition to talking all things Trek. All right, guys, my call to action for this month uh, well, almost this month, <laughs> almost the month of May, my call to action is going to be if you like this show and you're on the Apple platform, Apple iTunes or Apple podcasts, go and leave us a five star review and tell us how much you like the show. Even if you don't want to tell us how much you like the show, tell us anything, you know, just write a paragraph about anything you want to. But a five star is a must. Uh, so we'd hope you do that if you like the show and we'd really appreciate it, guys. So today we're going to be talking about the return to television for Star Trek in Star Trek The Next Generation's first episode, Encounter at Farpoint. So before moving on to our review of Encounter at Farpoint, I actually want to talk a little bit about Star Trek news. Have you heard any news rumblings in the Star Trek world uh, as of late, Kyle? I do know that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but production and shooting for Series 2 or Season 2 of Discovery has commenced. Am I right about that? Yes, we briefly talked about that on our uh, on our patreon slash uh outtakes show last week but yes it is in production right now we've seen a video that came out as well as some news and some pictures so yeah i'm really excited about that and yeah me too and hopefully we'll get it soon i'm not um i'm not i'm not optimistic about it coming out this year um but definitely i hope it's sooner than later I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to say January uh, 2019. That's my that's my gut feeling. Wow. You know what? I think you're probably right. But, you know, the 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 optimistic in me wants to push that a little bit closer. But I don't think it's happening, especially since they're just starting. And, you know, just thinking of the amount of special effects that they put into the show, it's probably not likely to come out this year. So there you go. Agreed. Also, we had a bit of uh, news from Paramount about 
Trek movies. So apparently there's two Star Trek movies in the works right now. Of course, we've been hearing about the Quentin Tarantino one for quite some time. And, you know, they just full hawk said it. We're, we're produ- we're working on two separate movies right now. You know, hope, uh, hopefully one will at least come out of this, you know, and the, the Tarantino movie is, actually supposed to not be set in the kelvin timeline if what i read is correct and of course the the the, uh star trek 4 will be in the kelvin timeline so interesting on what they do with the second movie i'm really interested in the tarantino movie what direction they take it in and if it's not going to be in the kelvin timeline do we know if it's going to be in the prime timeline or will it be just something totally bonkers and different judging from quentin tarantino movies it's probably going to be something bonkers and different, which I think uh, I'm, ready, I'm ready for that. What do you think? So do you mind if I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you think so? All right. So actually, I have two questions. Question number one is, is this an either or movie situation? So I'm a little confused here. Is this an either or movie or is this both of these are being produced and both of these will see the light of day if all goes well? Uh, as far as I know, there are two separate projects. Now, the Kelvin movie, uh, you know, the uh, Chris Pine crew movie, they've already attached a director to that one. Uh, S.J. Clarkson, which would be the first Star Trek female director to direct the film. So that's really cool. And um, so I think that one's pretty much guaranteed. We're going to get that one. I'm pretty confident they've attached a director to it. I believe we will get that one. Now, the one I guess that is more up in the air and undecided is the script that they're working for the Tarantino movie. But, you know, I think it could be really interesting if he uses some type of time thing to bring in all the actors that are still around for one last go. I'm excited kind of about what Tarantino can do. Maybe he can breathe some life into the into the franchise a bit. All right. So I think you just answered my second question, which was going to be that for the Tarantino, do we see that as a viable branching out or enriching the story of Star Trek or does it confuse it? And if it does the way you just said it to kind of in story explain how it happened, like, for instance, the Kelvin universe timeline where they had Spock, spoilers, Spock appear alongside Spock. And you understood that the timeline split off at some point. Yeah. My mind accepted that and I was cool with that. So you didn't just have this side, you know, story going on that you yeah. just rebooted it. You organically explained it. So yeah. if they do that with Tarantino, let it be wonky, let it be wacky but at least explain it. That's all I think I would ask. Yeah, I would hope that they at least try to put some type of logic behind how it takes place in the storyline. And and really, that's pretty easy in Star Trek with time travel and everything. I think they can, in alternate universes, I think they can pretty easily explain this movie that somehow relates to what we know, but not really. And, you know, I just want to see that. Uh, and I'm going to relate this to like something like Deadpool, you know, <laughs> It's out there. It's, it's bonkers. It's, it's things that you wouldn't normally see in the X-Men movie, but we accept it. And you know, Deadpool has a lot of president and comics and all that other stuff, but I just think they have a opportunity here to make something that's a little outside of the norm and maybe even possibly bring in some more fans or make something that's just a, a treat. So I don't know. You know, you know what just popped into my head when you were talking is. If they did a, I mean, I, and actually, I think I might even watch a series of of this. We've never had a Star Trek universe show and or movie where the cast and the setting is aboard a fill in the blank ship, whether it's Klingon, whether it's Romulan, whether it's, you know, whatever the alien race may be. It's always been on a Federation starship or the Federation base or something. It would be kind of cool if it took place on another branded, quote unquote, ship. Well, I guess we kind of had that before in a way. Um, in in, in um, A Voyage Home, they were on a Klingon ship. So I, we, No, no, no. But I mean, the actual cast and crew are not even anything you know, you're seeing it from the perspective of that cast and crew, not you've got Starfleet 
characters on a sh- ship like that. I'm, I'm meaning this whole perspective. It's set in the Star Trek universe, but it's not about Federation characters. Hmm. That could be interesting. I don't know if it'll have the same draw because because people come to Star Trek for the characters. So, I mean, completely devoid of the characters and going to this other point of view could be interesting, but I don't know if it'd be enough to bring people into theaters, but I'm definitely down for something different. Cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And just SJ Clarkson, I just wanted to mention her again. Um, she's directed a lot of television, a whole lot of television. She did some Defenders episodes, Jessica Jones, uh, Orange is New Black, but I don't see any movies on her, uh, repertoire, uh, so to speak. So I don't know. This would be something different from her. I'm excited to have some fresh blood in there and I guess we'll see. We'll see what she does. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, um, she's going to have a awesome team around her if, if, uh, she's going to be on board for this movie. So yeah, I'm excited. Okay, guys, moving right along. That is the news. And I guess we're ready to get in our review of Star Trek, the next generation encounter at four point. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle station. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. On the maiden voyage of the USS Enterprise, NCC 1701D, an unlimited being known as Q challenges the crew to discover the secret of mysterious based in an advanced and civilized fashion. So, man, this episode came out in on September 26, 1986. The new series marks the return of Star Trek to the small screen. So, man, um, just we've been reviewing a lot of the original series. Well, not a lot, a few episodes <laughs> of the original series. And, and you think of even, even discovery is much before, uh, TNG. Uh, what do we, what do you think just right off of this reintroduction? And that's probably weird for me to ask you that because this was probably your first Star Trek. So what do you think going back and seeing this episode again for the first time? Just a high level view of that. All right, high level view would be going, and I'm, and I'll only answer that from going back, not telling you how I felt the first time, but going back and watching it from a perspective of reviewing it, it felt a little more dated than I remembered it, hmm. but not in a bad way. You know, it, it, I acknowledge the datingness of it, but I, I still enjoyed it. I I think what I'm most notably recognized was how the characters other than one one particular character felt like they were still fresh to the characters obviously they were this was the first episode but you know how when you played a character for many many years you just kind of that become part of that character there was only one actor or actress that really personified the character from the moment I saw them on screen. But other than that, um, you know, I enjoyed watching this again. I mean, I've seen it several times, but it's been probably years since I've seen it. But but really enjoyed it. What about yourself? I mean, likewise, I think I had I, I think I may have enjoyed it more looking at it now from a review standpoint and also in light of some of the the, the classics uh, t- uh, TOS that we've been watching as well. Uh, I very much enjoyed it. I do feel the episode is very slow. <laughs> it is a very slow episode. In fact, I remember like a, a couple, maybe a couple of years ago or last year, like when I originally went back to watch to start from TNG again and go through it, it took, I struggled through this episode. I struggled, but I don't know. This time I didn't find it as hard to watch. And, um, yeah, just overall, I really enjoyed it. So, you're going to have to tell me what character this is that you felt fell right into place when you saw he or her for the first time. Data. Huh? Yeah, I can, I can see that, but I don't know, man. I really felt that, that Picard, um, uh, Patrick Stewart, I felt he was dead on from the beginning. I never felt like he was not meant to be the captain of the, of the enterprise. You know, I, I don't say that he 
didn't feel that way because they all had character traits that, you know, you came to know and recognize. There was just something about Data that he just felt as comfortable as seeing Data in season seven or seeing Data, you know, on any any of the movies. And it may be because of the way Data is portrayed as being so robotic and, you know, no feelings and whatever that made him look that way because you really weren't showing that much emotion. You had that stone, you know, motionless face. So maybe that was why I felt that way. But he just seemed a little bit more polished in the roles than did the others. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. I can see that. And it's kind of cool to see them start to develop some of these things that we see from data throughout the rest of the, the series run and even into the movies. We have this one moment when David data starts to go into his word word foo. I don't know what I want to call it when the captain asks him one simple thing and he just rails off every definition known to man. You know, that was in this yes. first episode and it's a reoccurring thing uh, throughout the series. So which character, if you don't mind me asking, stood out to you? Was it was it Picard or was it somebody else? Um, You know, pretty much everybody I felt like in their roles, they really felt like to me how they felt throughout the series. Nobody really felt off uh, with the exception of maybe Worf felt a little bit different in this episode and even Jordy. And they make drastic changes to those two characters in the next season. But if I if I want to think of one character that just jumps out with me out to me and maybe not in a good way is uh, Lieutenant Yar. Uh, oh, Ta- absolutely. Tasha Yar. Uh, she she is my Captain Marvel. <laughs> okay. She kind of looks like her too, to be honest. Hey, she really does. Uh, but, but, I'm, I, and, and I guess it, in a way you kind of can relate her to Landry of Star Trek Discovery. Um, she is like the gun, gun ho, um, officer who wants to shoot everything. And I really, and it's not just this episode. I, like I said, I recently saw this whole first season and she doesn't change. <laughs> she does not change. And if, when we get into her character, we learn why she's like that. Uh, she had a very rough childhood, you know, I think they even alluded to being, you know, maybe even abused in some forms when she was younger. Um, but I, I know why she's like that. But still, it just seems weird to have this one person that um, tends to fly off the handle uh, that is actually a bridge officer. So just really, really, really weird to me. All right. So if you don't mind me jumping in on something about her, you know, uh, no spoilers here, but we assume I hope that people have seen Star Trek. So we know that she eventually leaves at some point in the series. Yes. So when she does leave, you know, I've I've seen on YouTube or seen in documentaries over the years that she requested to be let out of her contract because of not liking how her character was portrayed. Really? Yes. So let me ask you this. Do you see her? Do you think that that actress could have played a more empathetic type character than the, you know, kind of one dimensional Tasha Yar as she was portrayed? Because to me, she was very one dimensional. It's, oh, you know, let's go fight, Captain. You know, oh, let's go fight, Captain. Oh, let's go fight. You know, that was pretty much her purpose is oh let's go fight captain well well to be quite honest you know i put the burden of that on her but actually if you look at wharf even in this first episode he's pretty much the same way i want to beat something up he's he's a, he's a Klingon. he's Klingon. you know he has an excuse and even like going forward when, when, when yar is not there and i mean uh wharf takes her tactical spot uh, on the bridge um we see Worf take on the same thing. Now, what that made me think of is to think of other series where what was it was the tactical officer uh, or the chief security were, were they that type of person? I think of Malcolm on uh, Enterprise, but he was more the armory officer. I think he had a slightly different title. He right. he was just as bad as her, or probably worse. <laughs> he was just as bad. But then, if you move forward into Tuvok. Tuvok was all, he's a Vulcan, so he was very calm, demeanored. He never really 
let's shoot him. <laughs> you know, he, the, 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 the outlook of the Voyager bridge was very much different because he was not the gung ho shoot first, ask questions later, uh, type of officer, tactical officer. So it's, you know, she's not the first one and only one to do that, but still it felt kind of weird to me, kind of out of place. So here's the reason I ask what I did about her. Um, and, and if you, and, and if you know what I'm re- referring to and you want me to hold it, you know, just say so. No, go but, for it, um, Okay, cool. So I, I actually found out something that I've not known in the 30 plus years or however long it's been since, well, yeah, 30 years since this came out, which was when hired, she was originally cast as the um, role of Deanna Troy. Huh. And uh, Maria Mar- Marina Sirtis was hired as the role of security chief Masha Hernandez. And then (laughs) when they swapped them because of Roddenberry after they were hired, he swapped them and then they renamed, you know, um, she was still Deanna Troy, but then they renamed, uh, you know, Hernandez into Tasha Yar. So that was, I had read that before I watched or rewatched this series or, you know, this episode and it was interesting because the entire time I'm watching them, I'm imagining each of them in the other role. Yeah, and it just funny. didn't – it was just really freaking weird. What do we think about – I mean, you mentioned Deanna Troy. What do we think about having this Betazoid on this Starship bridge? And I don't, I don't – I'm trying to think of another instance where we had, we've had a character like that that was a bridge officer. I can't. Oh yeah, um, I think you not kind of like that, but similar was actually in the um, second pilot for the original because you had the telepathic uh, crew members that started to evolve, and you know, in that particular uh, pilot, the second pilot that actually got picked up. Yeah, true. They man has gone before. didn't stay around. Yeah, and they didn't start like that. They kind of acquired those abilities. But uh, yeah, I think you're kind of right. And they were more uh, psychokinetic. They true. Yeah, telepath. Yeah, a little bit different from a telepath. But I do see what you're saying. One character that really I really thought of when I thought of you know another Betazoid, Betazoid like character. That not necessarily a bridge officer, but I think of um, Kess from from uh, Voyager. Ooh, yes. Yeah, she yes. was very similar in that sense because uh, she always came to the bridge to tell about her feelings about a planet <laughs> or something they went to. So, yeah, very similar. The old well, 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 here here's here's my take on seeing um, you know a Betazoid. I went into this episode back in '87 completely devoid of star trek you know thought you know like any foreknowledge because i'd really never watched it Uh so having said that it wasn't odd for me to see her on there because it was just like oh cool i like her she's cool oh she's telepathic oh cool i like that she's cool that was that was what i remember about her and to me she very much felt like a staple of older star trek to me uh than tng but she kind of evolves as well as the series goes on uh, but they really heavily relied on her um, telepathic abilities in, in, in this episode in Encounter at Farpoint. Yep, agreed. So what do we think about the look of the show? You mentioned that it looked kind of dated to you, but I kind of thought the exact opposite. Um, a few years back, TNG got, um, as well as the original series, but TNG got updated to HD graphics and updated visuals. I really thought it looked really good because I watched it on Netflix. I'm not sure what you watched it on. But but I yeah I've watched it on I've watched it on Netflix too. Now did you was yours like widescreen or was it still no no it was four three okay all right yeah but it still looked fabulous it still looked fabulous you know watching on my four K TCL television I thought it looked quite uh, immaculate (laughs) yeah it did it looked good there was just uh, and you know the more I say it it wasn't how the look of the show was I think honestly it was more of the acting and I keep picturing in my head uh Jonathan Frakes William Riker his to me was one of the most of the, of the characters that I saw his was the most like stoic 
that I, that, that, and he, he is who I keep coming back to as saying he just didn't realize, he didn't feel to me like his character had been realized yet. Huh. I don't know. I don't know. I will admit the pacing, in, especially in the first season as a whole, I think the pacing is just different than it is for the rest of the season. Uh, but I don't know. I, 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 I like Riker. I thought he was awesome. <laughs> so but that's cool though. You know, difference of opinion. That's cool. So let's look at the, I guess we'll go into some of the other characters a little later, but let's look at the big bad of, well, let me table that. Let's talk about Picard. Okay. Um, what are our initial impressions of Captain Picard, Jean-Luc Picard stepping into the role of captain of the Enterprise? What do we think? Perfectly we- happy with it. Absolutely perfectly happy. Yeah. I, I, I felt like, I mean, to me, to me, him as captain is just as iconic as Kirk as captain. You know, is it, they, they evoke Star Trek, you know, and I, I don't think the casting could have been any better. Of course, it could have been somebody else and we would have liked him too. But, you know, when I think of Star Trek, probably one of the first things I think of is ship then Picard <laughs> and then we'll go from there. But I thought it, he did an excellent job of commanding the ship. Uh, I always thought his his uh, reluctance to be around kids was a little weird, but, uh, you know, that's it is what it is. And, you know, I, I pretty much just just love what he does as captain. He's a very commanding presence with his uh, accent and all um, that just evokes a commanding presence to me. And I just love him, his role. And he just knocks it out the park. Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, I I see him and I remember from the very you know, first episode watching that there, there was just something authoritative about him, but, but in a soothing, calming way, as in you wanted to trust him more so as in you felt like you had to, Yeah. you know, uh, no offense to the character of Kirk, but Kirk to me had more of a, you know, Oh, he's, he's the captain, you know, you got to do what he says kind of thing. But Picard just seemed much more relatable than did in my mind Kirk would have been. Yeah, to me to me Kirk felt more of a James Bondish character. Uh versus Picard seems like more of a commanding um he really you're gonna you're gonna listen to this guy because he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. You know, that's kind of the difference to me. Uh again Kirk more James Bond. Uh, and maybe that was intended. <laughs> I don't know. Um so let me ask you what do we think about the uniforms? So we get the different uniforms. Um, overall, I think I like the look, but one part in particular I want to talk about in the very opening sequence when, when Picard is giving his monologue and they show people walking, they show this one wa- woman walking in the dress uniform. You, you know what I'm talking about? I, th- I think so, but keep going. And then, like, right after the woman passes, and we, we barely ever see the dress uniform or the skirt uniform in, in TNG as a whole. We see it from time to time. And then we see a dude walking by with the dress uniform. Was, was that just me or was my eyes playing tricks on me or something? Okay. So, so I think your eyes, because I think what I remember, and this may have been at the point where they say, even, and now you want me to, uh, now you're making me want to go back and look at it. But what I remember is at some point, and it may have been when they were evacuating at some point, that I see someone in shorts, like it was oh the, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh my. Okay. I just Googled it. <laughs> and and yeah, go is ahead. it shorts or is it? Well, well, in fact, there are plenty of men walking around in dress uniforms throughout TNG. <laughs> so, ah, okay. It, it, if if you Google TNG dress uniform man, and yeah, there are plenty of pictures. Um, so it wasn't me going crazy. So, Kyle, there you go. I have your next cosplay outfit. Um, be prepared to to throw on the TNG TNG uh, dress for your next cosplay. On me, I'll buy uh, it. No, thank you. But thanks so much for asking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh no yeah but no oh boy oh boy that is crazy i thought but I was, you know you go ahead no go ahead no, no i was just gonna say i thought i was going crazy but i guess i'm right so there you go well i was going to say i had forgotten until watching this that in that first season tasha i mean not tasha um deanna had the dress 
for the entire oh, uh, first season. Yes, you're right. It was the entire first season. You know what? I, all I remember is her in the the tight uniform. That is like ingrained in my head from my childhood. <laughs> that again, that was like an iconic thing. I talk about Picard, but those are one of the things I remember when I think about TNG is just her in that that uh, outfit. So yeah, I guess she was in the dress most of the season. Wow, I didn't remember that. Oh man. So moving on, what are our thoughts on the bridge versus TNG? I mean, versus TOS. Do we like to look at the oh, bridge? It, oh, I thought I, I think it looked fantastic. I mean, it was it, it, you got rid of all the bright and awkward looking, uh, you know, colors of the uh, you know big buttons and whatever. Yeah. It seemed to be toned down. You had a lot more um, mute colors. You know, a lot of grays, a lot of browns, and you know, off grayish blue kind of look. Uh, but yeah, more, more toned down than the original series. What did you think? Yeah. What jumped out to me is that I remember again, first seeing that bridge and thinking it looks like the most futuristic thing I've ever seen before in my life. And actually at the, uh, the Las Vegas, uh, Star Trek thing they had. Uh, Star Trek Las Vegas, whatever the experience we can go and uh, go through this Star Trek uh, ride, so to speak. I actually went on that. And they had a bridge that I actually got to go on, which is really cool. Uh, but but I remember it looking so futuristic at the time. But it's something how time changes. And now that we've seen Discovery Bridges, they just don't look as awesome as they used to to me. I I still like them, but the bridges on Discovery are so whiz bang and futuristic. It's just like there's no comparison, even to you know something as modern as TNG. So, yeah. So let me ask you this: you know, hearkening back to the difference between the original uh, uniforms from the original series and then the uniforms from this one. What do you feel as in in general how they reinterpreted the look overall? They uh, do you think they hit the mark? Do you think they could have done a better job? Just curious, what you think? Well, they hit the mark. They hit the mark. They did an excellent job. Um, you know, to the point now where you see just as many. We talk about cosplay and stuff. I think you see just as many people in TNG as you do in uh, on TOS uniforms. Uh, so I, I think they did a excellent job. Of course, that's one of the cool things about Star Trek, which each each iteration, everything is updated a little bit more and a little bit more. But I think, you know, the TNG outfit uh, costume slash outfits are pretty iconic at this point. And just the, the look and feel of the, of the ship and everything, even the the ship looks pr- still looks pretty awesome, you know. In a, in a large sense, I'm gonna speak blasphemy, but in a large sense, when I see the original series Enterprise, it looks very dated uh, compared to the TNG, uh, TNG Enterprise. Uh, so I mean, it's meant it's it's several years apart, even in the the lore of the show. But but still, I think the TNG Enterprise is pretty much stood the test of time. It still looks good now to me. So there you go. Yep, agreed, agreed. I I just think. You know, I'm looking at some old pictures of seeing the original Star Trek uniforms and, you know, they there's just a there's a and again, I know I'm probably going to speak blasphemy here, but there's a simpleness to the original. But there is a classic classiness almost to the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be pretty. That's what we grew up with. So maybe so. Uh, move around right along. Let's look into more of the actual plot of the episode. So we see Q for the first time and Q as in the person and the race, the Q. Um, you know, to me, this is pretty much a God villain or, and, and I, and I guess more is Q kind of involves of less of being just a villain and more of a challenge to to Picard and, you know, ultimately, I guess the human race as we move on through the show. But what are your initial initial thoughts on Q? And I want to ask you specifically, does he remind you of a DC character called Mr. Mixel? Mr. Mistleplex. Yes. That guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting. I've never had anybody 
pose, mix, and cue together. And so, so, so that's very interesting because my brain is kind of sitting here going, you know, left, right, and center. But the, the, the thing about Mixoclip, Mix, whatever his name is, uh, Mr. M, I'll call him, um, <laughs> was to get someone to say, to, you know, to trick him into saying his name. Yeah. Or saying his name backwards or whichever one uh, it was. So, he, you know, he was always trying to trick you. And now that you pose that, that in a way was similar to what Q was doing is he had what he wanted. He was playing his game and he was trying to, you had to outsmart, more so as trying to trick you, you had to outsmart him. Yes, yes, yes. And actually I got that from another podcast that I was recently listening to and they brought that up. I was like, okay, what great timing. (laughs) But, 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 but yeah, I mean, I think Q as a villain, um, it, it puts the enterprise slash Picard through the ringer and the ultimate, the ultimate, ultimate out is outsmarting him. And that's always the cool part of these episodes. Even when we go as far as into Voyager and we have the Q show up as well. I mean, I think the fact that the only way we can beat this guy, because he's basically a god, you know, the only, only way we can beat him is to outsmart him at his own game. So I always find that really refreshing and really good. But what about the whole notion of, you know, if you look a little bit deeper into what he was actually trying to accomplish, what about the notion that the the I guess he was trying to equate the human race to being shoot 'em up barbarians, which very much Tarsha Yar's uh <laughs> mentality throughout this whole episode. And and he I guess he was trying to find if we could reason past our need or our want to to just shoot the first thing we can't understand. Okay, so let me answer that, if you don't mind, in two different ways. The way number one being the the first part of my answer is this is what I would say typical or classic Roddenberry is posing a uh, human drama or human question or fundamental question as what is right and what is wrong. Yeah. So the nature of humanity I think is so essential to Star Trek because, you know, it's trying to show a better way or a different and better future that we can aspire to is one way I've always looked at it. And I think that's typical Roddenberry. So that's my first part of the story or or the answer. The second part is the way they presented it, I think, was just a product of the time they were living in, because we've made references when we've been reviewing Doctor Who and even in, you know, the current season, as well as the 2005 series, making references, seeing things that they made references to in 2005 that were political in nature, either in the UK or the United States. Same thing with uh, 2017. Last year, we saw, you know, references to U.S. politics Having said that, I found it quite interesting that at one point they talk about they're in the post-atomic yeah. 21st century. Yeah, that and, was pretty interesting. You know, in 87, that when this came out, or 86, 85, whenever it was being conceptualized and written, we're still in an era or an age then where you have the Star Wars program between the United States and the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. You have the Berlin Wall that is still up between North Germany or East Germany and West Germany. And you shoot up to 2018, Germany is Germany, and there's no communism and there's no USSR. But there was back, so the threat of nuclear annihilation or uh, you know n- atomic age was still front and center. So I thought that was really, really interesting that they made a reference to this being 21st century, or, or not, or a reference to not being, but a reference to a period, 21st century post-atomic. Yeah, yeah, they're taken to that mid 21st century in which that always, that always gets me that they put things so close to where we are now. Cause I mean, what all these years later, 
that's not too far from the date we are right now. So it always gets me when they have a future thing that's way out there in the future. I'm waving my hands, by the way. <laughs> and they put it so close that when we get here, it's like, uh, you should have pushed that out just a little bit further. But yeah, definitely get those sentiments that you have about the current time at the time that we were going through and how this maybe could have related to that. Um, you know what? The human race on trial, that makes a lot of sense because you think about things that we do in this whole atomic thing. And again, our need to want to shoot everything we can understand. So I like the premise of putting the human race on trial for these atrocities that we've committed throughout the years. But, you know, I, I do I do find a little a bit of reservation in actually putting this current crew which is very much utopian and trying to advance the race putting them on trial for stuff things that happened in the past that's the one thing i found weird about q's whole premise but you know it it made for a good episode (laughs) or interesting episode i should say okay so let me let me pose this to you isn't it another or could that be another uh look at our own society of how society deals and conceptualizes the you know people and and what i mean by that is you have a certain instead of being aliens or you know humanoids let's say you know if someone of a certain ethnic background or or a certain racial background or a certain um regional background or political background or whatever label you want to give it if if a person out of that label does something, then another group with another label is going to look at it as assuming that everyone in that label is possibly the same way as yeah. that one person. So then was Q not doing that exact same thing to humanity as a whole? Yes. Yes, I feel he was. And it it's almost gets to the point of, just challenging us to not go the route we've been going or at least make you think think if that has been the right route to go you know so that that's what i kind of felt throughout the the episode especially at the end um are we just going to shoot this thing or are we going to sit back and take a moment to think about really think about what we're doing and is is there a better way than doing the status quo and i think that's what in large part uh, the episode was about, um, I guess we have this alien thing that was actually the, uh, far point station. I don't, did they ever give it a name? I don't remember. I don't think they did. I think it was just, you know, it was, well, what, you know, I don't even think they called it a creature. They just said, you know, that's it's mate. I think it was just generalized or conceptualized or. Yeah. So, so, you know, um, a, a good point on bringing this alien for out of captivity in the end and letting it join his mate, um, happy ending there. Um, but, but yeah, um, any other takeaways from the episode? I'm trying to think of anything that just jumped out at me. Uh, we had the holiday, so, holiday scene for the first time, which I thought we was really did cool. indeed. I thought that was cool as well. We saw Wesley Crusher for the first time <laughs> in all his awkward glory or whatever. Uh, oh, Wesley. <laughs> Poor Wesley. So let me ask you this. which Did you know from the very beginning that there was a character that you just were like, oh, I'm going to like you? Huh. I mean, other than data, <laughs> other, other than data, I mean, but was there a character that and, and data may have been your, your, you know, your go to character. But and I know you, what you were about eight at the time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's harder for me to find a character that I don't like. Um, OK, I mean, especially being young, even then I like Wesley because he's like this little kid on the bridge. And, you know, if he could be there, so can I, you know, so it's that True. type of thing. And. I mean, I guess you, Lieutenant Yar is the only one that I really don't really mesh with out of everyone. And, um, Dr. Pulaski in season two, <laughs> but we won't, we won't go so, that far. We won't go there. Well, we, well, we, well, let me ask you this. There were two characters and I'm not talking about, you know, me reviewing it in 2018. I'm talking about Kyle in 87 watching it. So which two characters did I immediately focus on as I'm going to like these two. You're asking me that? Yeah. What do you think? 
Oh, man, I have no idea. <laughs> so it would be number one, I've already mentioned, which would be um, uh, oh, data. Crap. No, not data. It wasn't data. Uh, uh, um, Deanna Troy? Deanna Troy, thank you. And then Beverly Crusher. Uh, you and your strong women characters, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, I, I, and it's funny that you mentioned Pulaski because I, that second, you know, series, I can remember I was so ticked off whenever yeah. it came on and she wasn't on there. And back then, you know, you, you couldn't easily find, but there was no internet back then. You couldn't find why Beverly wasn't on there. And I, it was probably months before I found a magazine or something that said, you know, she had left the show, but Oh, I can remember I was so ticked off whenever it uh, said that she had been reassigned somewhere. What, Cal? You lived in an age with no internet? What? <laughs> yeah, can you believe it? <laughs> oh, another notable thing in this episode is the freaking battle bridge. I never understood the battle bridge. It looks utter- utterly dumb when the saucer is separated. What the what, man? What the what? It's okay. You know what the what was? The what was, and I'll answer what the what. The what was, look at what we can do in 87 with the technology. (laughs) And they don't use it that many times. No, they don't. It's very few times they use it, but for this first episode, it's such a huge thing. Yes. I mean, we, and it's funny because there were, there was a point that I got a sense of deja vu from the cage. Remember in the cage, and, and, and we commented on the review when we reviewed the cage of this particular scene, when they're supposed to go to warp speed for the first time or, you know, in that episode. And it kind of was like awkward because they're just standing there. And you remember that? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay. The, the moment where they are doing the, uh, you know, watching the saucer detach and they're sitting there watching the viewfinder i get that same deja vu yeah yeah, we're we're watching them fly through space again oh look we're watching the saucer oh look we're watching the saucer come back on oh but it was such a serious moment when uh when picard was like uh let's separate the saucer or something he said to that effect it's like everybody got the serious face and they like panned on everybody it was really hilarious um, yeah, but it does remind me of that Voyager episode of which I cannot remember the name, but they did have this prototype ship that they uh, sent the doctor to, I believe, that I think it separated as well, which is kind of similar. Mm, interesting. I forgot about that. Um, I actually have a question for you, if you don't mind. This was something I wasn't clear about. So I know we got a cameo of one of the original Star Trek cast that... Uh, you know, we you know we see a return as a very old admiral. They don't even you know mention him by name, but but you obviously you know know who he is. But then we see this ship, and I had completely forgot about this. Is this supposed to be a previous version of the Enterprise that he's going no, back to? They called it something else. I forgot what they okay. called it, but it had a different name. It wasn't Enterprise. Okay, got you. Yeah, but it did kind of have the same a similar make to it yeah it did no. it did well let me hit you with another fun fact okay of course we okay. talked about DeForest kelly uh, uh leonard leonard mccoy bones um did you know in star trek canon that uh bones graduated from the university oh, of mississippi yes yeah. yeah yeah just freaking cool didn't yeah. graduate from Starfleet. I, I thought that was really really interesting yeah so uh what other takeaways uh I said mention the battle bridge. They mentioned Ferengi, Ferengi in this episode, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, we mentioned a holodeck, holodeck. Yeah, I think we've pretty much covered it. All right. Well, I have two more things, if you don't mind, if we still have time. Let's go right ahead. All right. So one is an observation or something that I found. The other one is a question for you of something that I wasn't clear about. So my observation from reading was Worf was not originally intended to be a continuing story he was supposed to just or a continuing character. He was supposed to just be like a uh, non-contract or, you know, like a, you know, occasional character, but they liked Michael Dorn's portrayal so much that they wrote him in as a full fledged character. 
interesting to read that considering that he went on to be on not just all seven seasons of that not in you know also the movies but also appeared on you know spinoffs as well so interesting that that character wasn't intended but then became you know more than just a regular he went on to do other star trek stuff yeah he may in fact be the longest um running reoccurring character i don't know that to be true but it seems like it so my other one was a question for you, which was with the way Q left at the end, did they outsmart him, outsmart him? Did he he just leave because he left? What were your take? Uh, they outsmarted him. Uh, they passed the test, so to speak. And I mean, it clearly looks like we will see Q again because, you know, he kind of insinuates that it's not over. So, yeah, I mean, I think for the for this battle, the Enterprise is won, but uh, certainly we will see him in the future. What was your right, take? Cool. Cool. All right. That may I, I really wasn't certain. I mean, I I just didn't remember or have a clear understanding. Did he just leave? And you're, yeah, you're right. Knowing with fort knowledge that he's going to be coming back, that makes sense. But just from looking at this particular episode, I just didn't have a clear feeling of did they win or what? Ah, got you, got you. So yeah, that's it. That's my that though that kind of covers my notes. All right, folks. Uh, that is our wrap up of it, Encounter at Farpoint, the first episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, episodes one and two. Actually, uh, if you have thoughts on this episode or stuff that we may have mixed missed, or tell us how wrong we are because you know who are we we're just clarence and kyle <laughs> uh let us know what you think of the episode please send a feedback uh at fans at discussing com. and uh yeah uh kyle um do you have any parting gifts sir man anything you want to mention podcast related or otherwise well the only thing i would mention is we also have a youtube channel that can be found this is for discussing who discussing comics that you can find at the Discussing Network on YouTube, and you can just search for that, or you can go to youtube.com backslash, you can go to youtube.com <laughs> slash Discussing Network. Yes, guys. And please, if you want to support the show, you can check us out and figure out how to support the show by going to DiscussingTrek.com backslash support. All right, guys, that is all for the show. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, Live long and prosper. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe.